Welcome to one more edition of Politics on Right. I'm Egberto Willis, your host. Today, we are honored to have a very, very special guest, Alison Gaines. It's a writer, editor, and activist scholar who believes the pen is mightier than the sword. She calls herself on her Twitter page, a womanist wife. You're going to have to interpret that for us a little bit later. Alison is the co-founder uh, of WEOC, Woke. No, that's not Woke, W-O-K-E. That is writers and founders, writers and editors of Color. Alison Gaines, welcome to Politics and Right. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thank you so much. Hey, look, let me tell you, um, I got introduced to your organization by a good friend, an excellent writer. His name is uh, uh, Dominguez, Arturo Dominguez. And um, it was one of the best introductions I've had. I mean, uh, I've been writing for a long time, not as professional as many of the people in your group, but it was just refreshing to see a group of, you know, of, of people writing the way you guys do and having the passion for doing it. Tell me, first of all, a little bit about yourself. Um, well, I'm from New Orleans, Louisiana, um, and I am um, born and raised in the South, but I've traveled a lot. And right now I'm in Puerto Rico. I've been in Puerto Rico a couple of years. Um, and pretty much right now I'm pursuing a PhD in psychology to build off of my master's. Um, and I write every day and I edit and I like to work with and help other writers. And um, everything I do is through like an activist lens. Well, you know, there's something that you said in one of our meetings and we're going to talk about woke and when, when we meet and all that sort of stuff in a little bit. But there's something that, that you said was striking and it's something that I, you know, I've even incorporated um, as, as well. Uh, I don't know if you know who Tom Hartman is. He told me something similar about writing as well. And I, when I heard you said, I said, man, I get to get, get, get a bit more discipline as well. You said that you isolate X amount of hours every day that you dedicate to writing something. Talk, talk a little bit about that. So yeah, so every day I start my day with writing for at least two hours. That way, no matter what is going on in my life, I know that I wrote a little bit. And even if I didn't publish or finish something, I feel like two hours is a good jump off spot to commit to writing. Now, why do you do that? I mean, I, I know both of us are activists. I know I do it because every day something happens that I have to talk about. Why do you do it? Like every day, um, white supremacy doesn't take days off. So I feel like there has to be some of us that feel the same way about it. And I wake up and I just know I'm going to find a story that is important enough for me to share with others or, you know, just to educate myself as I educate myself to educate others. So I feel like that's really my motivation of why I do it. And also, like when I try to do it another way and not put writing first, I didn't get much writing done. Yeah, but, you know, actually you gave a great segue. You brought up the, the mythical phrase, white supremacy. And um, it, it is interesting because here you formed a group called uh, Writers and Editors of Color. Did we really need a group like that? I have an answer, but I really want you to, I want you to expand on that. I feel like, yes, because um, we have to understand that um, writers and editors of color have been marginalized. And a lot of times they don't have access to the same networking opportunities and connections that um, traditional or white people have. Um, and so I find that the organization was necessary because um, at a time when we're dealing with this racial reckoning and people are coming together, 
I wanted it to be something that was open for Black people, but also people of color, because we have this shared experience as being marginalized by white supremacy. I mean, you bring a lot of different kind of writers writing about just about everything in Woke. And recently, I, on one of your conferences that I was on, every, first of all, tell us, a little, tell us when you guys meet, where you meet, etc. W-E-O-C, Woke. Tell us a little bit about right. that first. So you can find us at writersandeditorsofcolors.com. That's where our publication lives. And we meet every Sunday at 12 p.m. Eastern, live on Twitter Spaces. And we have a, um, a Writing for Change speaker series. So every week we feature a writer. So we interview them. And then the second half, we have an open conversation about writing. We also have a woke slide workplace. And every other week, we either do a skills lab or a town hall. And those are on Google Meet. Those are more private. Yeah, well, well going back on that, where you talk about in, in being in the right spaces, I mean, I think it is so important what you're centralizing on. Um, I think the, the journalistic court in this country has done a disservice not to people of color. People of color always knew what has been going on in this country, but I think they've done a disservice to the people at large. And, and that disservice that they've done to people at large has to do as well to them not knowing the real history of the country and having most of the writings of those who've experienced these things filtered through the eyes of those who may want to sanitize certain things. Um, one of the things that I nobody there is willing to do that and we're talk we talk a lot about editors and what the result of editing does talk about that and why it is so important that there's this independence that you are creating with your group right so we look at it um some writers feel that when they get edited especially by uh by white uh editors that oftentimes things that may be important to the story that is related to race are a lot of times watered down maybe not even intentionally um but maybe as a sensitivity to their audience but that's why what we're doing is so important because we don't center whiteness um, so we center our experiences as Black people and people of color, and we feel like that's important. And I also agree with what you said about it doing a disservice to everyone, because not knowing the entire story and then making decisions off of only fragments of that story can lead to a lot of problems. You know, that has, per in fact, I, I think the situation that we are in right now, the polarization, et cetera, that actually has been ex not exacerbated, but caused by the ignorance of people. And the ignorance of people come from having had horrendous people. People like to talk about journalism as if it is something sacred. We haven't had real journalism. Independent folks, what you are doing, what others are doing in that domain are the ones that are really the ones that will make change and also get people to understand exactly what's going on in this country. You, in fact, I want to bring up one particular story that was, um, there are several stories that's always touching to me, right? But there's one particular author in your series that came on and spoke about having been in an interracial relationship. And she said one sentence that really, that I wanted to expand on. She said, 11 years ago, I was willing to go into this marriage I don't know if five years ago I would have, meaning I would have just thrown my hands up into the air and said to hell with it. Let me just concentrate on. And I think I replied to her saying, I am glad you met him 
11 years ago and not today because the education that you are providing and the education that she provided within your group, I think was so much more important, not, not to black folks or Latinos or whatever in your group, but to the country at large. What do you think about that? I think it is important um, to, to, to teach uh, white people. And I do think that it takes a lot of patience, mm -hmm. right? And I always think it should be voluntary um, because so much information is out there. But I'm one of those people where I write and I do consider myself an educator. So um, obviously in my relationship, I'm married to a Black man. But I definitely respect her for sticking with it, even though there was racism and that she had to kind of help him align his values. I think that, that that's transformative because hopefully that will also influence members of his family or people that respect and care about him as well. You know, you just said the magical word, voluntary, right? I mean, <clears throat> right now, what politics done right is all about is audiences, right? making sure that and I have a whole lot of flack for I will speak to it. I, I will talk to anybody, anybody, but I am not asking everybody to do the same. I'm saying if you're comfortable to be the one making that change or bring, making that contact, go ahead and do it. But uh, if you're, if you don't have the, the, if you don't have the patience or whatever, I'm not going to hold that against you because you have a right not to be that way. Correct. Right. And that's kind of part of the point of Writers and Editors of Color is it gives us a space to speak about our experiences and whether it hurts their feelings or whether they love it. Basically, we're free from caring about their feelings in that space. Not that our intent is ever to hurt anyone's feelings, but it's nice having that freedom to not always have to guard yourself. Watch what you say so that it does not offend white ears. You know, it's interesting. You, now you brought up another point, my friend. Uh, it, it's interesting that we say we cater our words not to hurt others. What do others say about catering their behavior not to dehumanize us? Explain. They don't really put much effort into caring about our feelings. Like when it comes to, we're talking about the education and we're talking about how learning about racism may hurt white kids' feelings, but no one talks about how it feels to be black and grow up in America and only read one little paragraph about your history. So that's why I think it's so important for us to sometimes stop and just not center their feelings because unfortunately their feelings are already at the center. Yeah, you know, and that's interesting. I tell you, in our program, and in fact, you will have uh, you, you you should have a, a new audience of of probably who knows right wingers as well because I mean we like the idea we don't we don't censor uh, what we talk about we are frank about what we're talk, talking about on all sides left right or anything and I think it is so important for us to centralize on in this case on the most aggrieved which is something that isn't done in this country we are always protecting one class, one hue, and you know what I mean. Go ahead. Yes, I definitely know what you mean. That, unfortunately, since the beginning of this country, it was written into it to provide only rights for white men who own land. So now that we're hundreds of years down the line, we're still trying to broaden what it means to be an American. And I think that a lot of these conversations center about that. And I'm one of those people like you, I don't mind listening to what people have to say, no matter what spectrum. I'm more centered around policies and around solutions to problems. And it's only when those people don't want to address those solutions 
that I think we run into a problem. But I think that we can do a better job in this country of respectfully disagreeing. Absolutely. And, you know, but, you know, you just said respectfully disagreeing there. That, that's true. But there's something that you can't even disagree about because, I mean, they're, they're just factual. I, Americans don't know. And I, I think, believe it or not, that is a, the real fear of th- those who don't want to teach about race. And they're calling it CRT. They can call it whatever the hell they want to call it. It's just about telling about history. The reason they don't want history is that I have this, I have this tenet. Most people, period, bar none, are good. But they've been reared wrong, okay? And it is in that disease that they've had that perpetrates all that goes on. And, and when you start inoculating them with the truth, suddenly they either have to say, well, I, I'm, I'm, I'm happy dehumanizing others. I don't, it doesn't bother me. Or they have to say, oh my God, things have to change. Your thoughts on that? It's fight or flight. So either they're willing to run from it and they want to burn the books and they don't want them in their class or they're willing to, or they just want to fight about it. I think that we have to stop having a war against the truth and against history. Um, The history has ugly truths on both sides. And I think that we need to get more comfortable with those ugly truths because like- Wait, let me me interrupt you. I want to interrupt you because you just just made a Trumpian statement that I don't know that I agree with. The history has- on, on both sides. What are the both sides we're talking about? Well, what I mean, I guess what I'm, what I mean is that I feel like when it comes to history there, when I, I'm from the South, so I'm used to growing up with people with Confederate flags flying around and they say the war was not about slavery. Mm-hmm. That's what I mean by another side. The right. other side is not legitimate to me, but that side exists. And that right. side is pretty much all that dominates. When in reality, if you even just like objectively read for yourself, the letters that each state made when they left the union, each of them stated slavery as a purpose. Right. So, you know, I guess when I say both sides, I don't believe there should be two sides, but I'm acknowledging that we're living in a country that loves right. both siderism. Right. I just, you know, the only reason I kind of uh, did a little pushback there is I don't want anybody to sit down and, you know, uh, you know, I always tell people I'm willing to discuss. I'm willing to even change my mind when proven wrong. What I'm not willing to do is acquiesce to fallacies at all. That's true. You know, and it's like the like the 1619, uh, the 1619 project. Like we're we're starting the book club. We're all going to read the book. And you are getting ahead of me, Allison. I want you to I want you to properly tell us more about the 169 project. Okay. I want you to properly tell us about the awards that you've won. I want you to properly talk about how you've actually been retweeted by, I'm getting old, I can't remember her name, Jones. No, uh, yes, Nicole Hannah-Jones. Nicole Hannah-Jones. So uh, now, let, why don't we go ahead and do that? First of all, tell me about this 1619 project that you guys are working on. And it's actually a woke 1619 project of which many writers are participating in. Yes, it's an awesome project. So it's called The Case for the 1619 Project. And when um, the 1619 Project, before the book was released, Nicole Hannah-Jones and several prominent authors, uh, they came out with it and published it on in the New York Times. So basically, it, it, it ruffled a lot of feathers because it said, you know what, um, let's start talking about when, when slavery first started and how the role that slavery played in American society and that it continues to play. Um, and that really ruffled feathers. So we got together. Um, our project manager, Ellie Justice, she was the brainchild behind the, um, behind the project. And she said, one, yeah. let's push back 
on these criticisms that they have. And I'm like, you're right, because it's so easy to just say, oh no, they're just saying silly stuff. But I said, no, let's take our time, listen to what they're saying, read what they're saying and form responses. So part of the project is we're doing a responding to the criticisms. We're doing case studies and showing um, lived experiences. Um, and we are advocating for this project to be taught in school. And now that the book is out, we're going to celebrate by reading it, studying it. And pretty much this book is dedicated to the 30 million descendants of, of, of slaves that were um, in, in America. And so basically um, it's a controversial topic because like we were saying how there's no two sides to history. Well, this is showing the truth. This is showing about what happened, but it's a side that they don't like. It's, it's, it's a perspective they don't like because they've, they've tried to hide it. So. I guess our writing is a way of intelligently, scholarly addressing their concerns about the project so that if someone is interested, but maybe they're on the fence, they might read our case and they might, they might agree that it's a proper thing to teach. That is, that is, that, and I think it was, it was actually retweeted and recognized by Nicole Lana Jones, right? Tell us a yes. little bit about that. Yes. So um, about a couple of months ago, well, we, we, you know, we tweet at her because we're crushing on her project <laughs> and our, our project is pretty much like um, just trying to defend her project because she, she's been through a lot, not like personally, professionally, just she's received a lot of criticism and um so I think that she might have appreciated seeing it. We didn't know. It could have went one or two dark. She could have said, like, y'all are little babies. Get away from me. But she seems to um, she seems to like us. And so she's retweeted our stories. Um, and so, like, you know, hopefully one day, if it was a dream come true, we would meet her one day and tell her how great we think her book is and ask her advice, you know? Well, I, actually, you, you already have a, a medium, a $10,000 winner in your group. From the tell us a little bit about that, and that could probably tell her hey, if 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 these people have award winners, just maybe. Yes. So Hal Harris, um, he is the founder of 1865, established in 1865. It's a publication where he shares most of his own work, and he was one of the um, semifinalists for the Medium Writers uh, uh, Writing Challenge. He won $10,000 and they reviewed over 9,000 essays. Um, so we had Hal Harris, we also had Brian, who was a semi-finalist and also another writer with us, Kasira Copes. All so in we're very proud. All in our group of only about 115. Mm -hmm. We only have about 115 writers in our group. And out of the people that participated, we had three winners amongst us. That it was very, is, a very good moment. That, that is actually, uh, I mean, that is, that, that, that is great. But I don't know, I don't know if you've listened to any one of my interviews, but I always have a last question that I like to stump everybody with. And it's simple, actually, it's on me. What would you have liked me to ask you that I didn't? Hmm. Um, I guess, I guess more like, what, where do I see the future of, hmm. of these efforts? Well, where so, do you see the future of woke? Where do you see the future um, of what you intend to do? I think that in the future, years from now, Woke will be a nonprofit and we will be able to help young um, and just aspiring writers everywhere, writers who have been marginalized um, and help to amplify their writing and their words. Um, and I think that would be something that I could be proud of if that if it was if it was big and bold and you know, I would just be really happy because just the little feeling that I've gotten so far, we're under a year old. So we started um, 
at the at the beginning of January. So we're looking forward to our one year anniversary and we're just really excited about everything going on now and in the future. Well, look, I'm glad to have found you guys because, you know, now I'm as, as a member of the crew. Uh, I, I actually, the truth of the matter is I can learn a lot from you guys because you guys are some real writers. This is, I mean, uh, you are serious about what you're doing here. So listen, Alison Gain, writer, editor, activist, womanist wife that we aren't going to get to, but also most importantly, the co-founder of Writers and Editors of Color. Thank you so kindly for having been on Politics Done Right. We'll talk. Thank you. We spend a lot of time deconstructing the news, trying to trying to parse it into a form that everybody can understand. We try to find those little nitpicks where uh, it goes, it flies above the fray, etc. If you really like these videos that we do, I want to ask a big favor. Please go ahead, number one, subscribe to our channel, and number two, please join if you can. Thank you so kindly for watching. Keep watching. Please remember to share. We must populate the entire internet with our progressive message, a message that we know is what most Americans say that they want. So help us please join.